become new. And of course, how do you get in Christ? You get in Christ when you repent of your sins and make Jesus the Lord of your life and receive him. The Bible says there's another verse that says you're translated from the kingdom of darkness over into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of his dear son. And something happens on the inside of you when you when you receive Jesus and you get born again, you get saved, become a Christian, however you want to say it. It's many ways to say the same thing. You're positioned in Christ and you become a new creation on the inside and old things pass away and all things have become new. And so as we started this year out, we're, we're on the theme of revival and we're talking about a revival, at least here to start the year, in our identities. And uh, so many Christians, they, they don't realize who they are in Christ. And uh, if, you're, if, if you don't... Review from time to time who you are in Christ, you can lose your identity and then your identity can be wrapped up in how much money you have or where you went to school or what kind of a job you have and and uh, those sorts of things. We talked about those last week, so we'll not go through all of that again, but we need to realize that our identity is centered in who we are in Christ. That's something that can never be taken away from us. You know, if you set a record in high school, maybe you were you ran the fastest 50-yard dash and you were known in your high school as the holder of the 50-yard dash record, you know as well as I do, somebody's going to come along in time and break that record. Is that right? And then you won't be the 50-yard dash champion anymore and you could lose your identity. But it, you see, when you know who you are in Christ and you, you realize you're positioned in Christ, that, that can never be taken away from you, you see. And so that's that's what we're going after here. Now let's look again at Romans 12, verse 2. We looked at this last week. We'll look at it again here. This is in the Amplified Bible. Romans 12, verse 2 says, For by the grace or the unmerited favor of God given to me, this was Paul speaking, he said, I warn everyone among you not to estimate and think of himself more highly than he ought. See, we ought to think well of ourselves as it pertains to who we are in Christ, but we shouldn't think more highly than we ought. And I like what the Amplified Bible says, not to have an exaggerated opinion of his own importance. You know, some folks, some Christians have an exaggerated opinion of their own importance. And uh, that's unfortunate. We've seen that over the years. Uh, you know, very prideful, you know. People think that the world begins and ends with them, that the sun rises and sets on them, that God doesn't make a move from his holy throne unless he consults them. And you know that's not so, is it? So we should not have an exaggerated opinion of our own importance. But you know, so many Christians don't have an exaggerated opinion. They have an unexaggerated opinion. They're in the ditch on the other side. Remember, the devil's a ditch devil. Remember that? He wants you in the ditch on one side or the other. He doesn't care which side of the road uh, ditch you're in. He either wants you to be in pride and have an exaggerated opinion of yourself, or he wants you to feel like you're just unworthy and you're no good and, you know, you're just, 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 just scum and all of that. That's how he wants you in one ditch or, or the other. Because as long as the devil has you in a ditch, then you're not ever going to be effective for the Lord. And so many have a, an exaggerated opinion, but, but I'd say for every one person I've met that has an exaggerated opinion of their own importance, for every one Christian I've met, there's probably been a hundred that have been in the ditch on the other side that if you talk to them a little bit, they'll say, well, I'm just so unworthy. I just don't deserve the blessings of God. God would never do that. He'd never bless me. He'd never do that wonderful thing for me. I just don't measure up. I, you just don't know what I've done. Well, see, when people start talking like that, they don't know who they are in Christ. You need to understand that. And here's something else you've got to be watchful of is a false humility. A false humility. Sometimes people think that they're being humble when they say, well, I'm just so unworthy. Well, I'm just so no good. I'm just, I'm just so lowly. You know, when you talk like that as a Christian, you're really being defiant to God. Did you realize that? Because he's made you somebody in Christ. But a lot of times 
Christians will think, well, I'm just so... They think they're being humble. I'm just so lowly. I'm just so no good. I'm just... But when you, you see... People that talk like that don't have a proper identity. They don't know who they are. We need to realize that in and of ourselves, we're nothing. In and of ourselves, we, we are worthless. But we're not in and of ourselves if we've made Jesus the Lord of our lives. If we've made Jesus the Lord of our lives, we are a child of Almighty God. Do you realize that? We're a member of the body of Christ. Do you realize that? You're above and not beneath. You're the head and not the tail. You need to realize that about yourself. You have the right. Now, now in the Old Testament, as you study it, that the high priest could only go in once a year into that Holy of Holies. Remember that? And, and, and they'd put a they'd put a rope on him because if he went in there and, and he had to go in there with blood, you know, uh, of an animal. Remember and, and, and if he if he didn't, you know, it was, it was uh, the presence of God was in there and, and he couldn't go in there except once a year. And then everything had to be just so and just right. And if he if he messed up in there, he'd fall dead. They'd pull him out. They, he had bells on his on his clothes. And as long as the people on the outside there of the Holy of Holies heard the bells, they knew the priest was doing everything just so. But then, you know, if he messed up or goofed up or did something he shouldn't do. We need to understand this too, that you don't just slop up around God and, and, and just come, come, uh, lack of reverent, uh, rever- not reverently before Him. We need to come reverently before Him. Can, can you say Amen to that? When you come to the house of God, you, you, you've come, so, you haven't come to Walmart. Do you understand that? Do you realize that? You haven't come to Target. You've come to the house of God. You've come to a holy place. You, you need to understand that. Okay, but 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 if that if that priest didn't do everything just right, he he'd he'd fall dead. Is that correct? And they'd have to pull him out on that rope. It's a very holy thing. You need to realize that when we make Jesus the Lord of our lives, we're washed in the blood of Jesus. We become a child of God, and the Bible says that we have a right. To not only go into that earthly, that, that earthly tabernacle has been done away with. We have a right to go into the heavenly one, spiritually speaking, and walk right up into the presence of Almighty God himself, very reverently now, and walk up right in his presence and stand there as though we've never sinned at all, ever. Isn't that wonderful? Now, most Christians have trouble swallowing that. But it's the Bible, isn't it? And the Bible says we ought to come boldly to the throne of grace. We can only do that because we're in Christ. Do you realize that? And because we're washed in the blood of Jesus, we can walk boldly right up to the throne of God and stand there and be just as holy and just as clean as Jesus. You know, people have trouble receiving that. They just can't accept. I I have trouble accepting. But it's the Bible. We're a joint heir with Christ. Doesn't the Bible, we'll get into this in a future session, but it's coming up in my heart now. We're a joint heir with Jesus. Did you know that God loves you as much as he loves Jesus? Doesn't go over good either. People just have, I've got to work on these people. I've got to work on myself. Didn't Jesus say that himself? He said, he, he was praying to the Father. He said that they may know that you love them as much as you do me. We're going to have to get into these scriptures and work on these folk because they don't know who they are in Christ as they should. God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to you. Do you know that? How do I know that? There's a scripture that says you're a joint heir with Christ. Everything belongs to him belongs to you. Do you know where you're seated in heavenly places? You're seated at the right hand of God. In Christ. Did you get that? You need to realize who you are. You're something else. In Christ. Now out of Christ. It's bad. It's ugly. It's going to hell. But in Christ. It's just the exact opposite of that. You are a joint heir. If you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, you're a joint heir with Jesus. God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. You're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Well, where is Christ seated? Right at the right hand of power. 
That's, that's who we are. We've got to get a revelation of this. Did you know that if... This won't go over real good either. But did you know that if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, you're no longer a sinner? Oh, but I'm just an old sinner that got... That, that, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. Well, you were an old sinner. You got saved by grace. But now that you've been saved, you're no longer a sinner. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. Do you realize that? Now, I'm going to give you scriptures. I'm, I'm into my sermon about three weeks down the road here. But see, religion will teach you just the opposite of that. That you're just so unworthy and you're just so, you're so unworthy. You never could come in before the presence of God. No, no, no. People that talk like that don't know who they are in Christ. You're a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. You're a son or a daughter of God. Isn't that wonderful? And if people really understood that, they'd just go, they'd go nuts, jumping up and down, shouting and yelling. It's exciting, isn't it? It really is. A joint heir with, with the Lord Jesus. You okay? What was I just talking about just a couple of minutes ago? I, was, I wanted to say some more about that. Excuse me? False humility. Yeah, a false humility. That's what the devil tries to get us into, a false humility. Now, we need to be humble in the sight of God, but we need to know who we are in Christ. And when you know who you are in Christ, you'll get real bold. Oh, yeah, that's what I wanted to get. Say, say I, am I am the righteousness of God, righteousness of God. in Christ. Christ. Yeah. Now, now, are you a sinner? No. Were you a sinner? Yes. yes. But are you a, if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, are you a sinner right now? No. Nope. They, they, they just don't. It's hard. It's hard, to, it's hard for people to get. Are you a sinner? No. No. I'm not a sinner. I was a sinner. But when I made Jesus the Lord of my life, I, I, I'm no longer a sinner. I'm the, righteous, I'm the very righteousness of God in Christ. See, Jesus, now watch this, Jesus, I'm about three weeks down the road, but that's okay. Jesus was the righteousness of God, right? Was Jesus the righteousness of God? Yeah. And he was made to be sin. Did he do anything to become sin? Did he sin, commit a sin to become sin? No. He, he, he received our sins upon himself, didn't he? And the Bible said the righteousness of God was made to what? Be sin so that we sinners, the unrighteousness, could be made righteous in, say in him. In him. And see, it's a great exchange. He who knew no sin, the righteousness of God, became sin and he didn't have to do anything and he didn't do anything to become sin. He just received it, didn't he? Did he ever commit a sin? No. So likewise, we, we can't commit any righteous acts to become the righteousness of God. We receive Jesus. And when we receive Jesus, that old person, that, old, that, that, sin, that sinner, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. When we receive Jesus, that old man on the end, Paul called it the old man, that old man dies and is done away with and, and we become new. We become born again. We become d- declared righteous. It, it, it's, a one, it's by the grace of God. It's too good to be, it's almost too good to be true, but, it, but it's true. Can you say amen? And we become, we, God declares us the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. All, all the old has passed away and we become new, no longer sinners, but the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, could we still commit a sin? Yes. Should we? No, but could we? But if we do, we have, the Bible says we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And, and all we have to do is with a repentant heart go and ask Him to forgive us, confess it, our sin before, ask Him to forgive us. And that, that blood of Jesus washes that sin away as though it never happened. Isn't that wonderful? Now the preaching I'm doing right now, the devil doesn't want that kind of preaching going on. Because if, if God's people ever found out who they are in Christ and really walked in it, 
I'm telling you what, you'd revolutionize your home, your community. You'd revolutionize a whole lot of things. You understand? But the devil wants to keep us in the dark. And, uh, and he's done an excellent job of keeping Christians in the dark. Because I can stand right here. You've been under the, this ministry, many of you, for 15, 20 years. And I'll say something like, uh, like I just said. Do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know that you're the righteousness of God in Christ? And then I'll say, uh, you know, like I just said, uh, are you a sinner? And people will still... Are you a sinner? Are you? No. Are you just as good as Jesus? Well, that's hard for people to say. Are you just as good as Jesus? The Bible says you are. Now, in and of yourself, are you? No. But he made you worthy, didn't he? You're a member of the body of Christ. Now, let me ask you this. Are you God? No. Are we, are we equal with God in that we are deity? No. There's only one God. Do you understand that? But we are positioned in Christ as a member of his body. And as far as God the Father is concerned, we are just as good as Jesus himself. And that's hard for people to swallow. And people that have been brought up in, 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 in even in charismatic circles, but in Baptist circles or in, in Lutheran circles or Methodist circles or Episcopalian circles or just about any kind of circles and certainly... Catholic circles, the kind of teaching I'm doing right now, many of the leaders of those those denominations would say that I'm being blasphemous. Do you get what I just said? But I'll give you a script. If you don't, just, if you don't believe me, just stick around for about another month and we'll go through every last one of these scriptures as we move ahead in time. And I'll show you from the Bible that you, you are just as good as Jesus himself because he made you that way. Is that right? Am I in the Bible or not? Am I in the Bible? Yeah. Are you okay with what I just said? Is everybody all right? Yeah. It's a, it's a God's honest truth. Now let me get into my message. I could almost close right here, couldn't I? Now, but to rate, now let's go back to Romans twelve two. See, we, we we can you see we need a revival, a revival in our identities. Now, now, we should not have an exaggerated opinion of our own importance, but to rate his ability with sober judgment, each according to the degree of faith appointed to him. We must see ourselves the way God sees us. Now, let's let, let me I got ahead of myself into about three weeks ahead on what I, I will be because we're going to go through those in Christ scriptures from the from the New Testament. You'll see everything I just told you. We'll back it up with scripture. But this is what the Lord wants me to get at here today. Uh, particularly, uh, look at Numbers 13, verse 30. Remember Joshua and Caleb? How many remembers them? Remember that Moses was going to, they were going to go into the promised land and he sent out the 12 spies and remember they brought back report. And remember, uh, Joshua and Caleb brought back this report, Numbers 1330. <clears throat> Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. I like that kind of report. I said, I like that kind of a report. I need to say this because I sense there's somebody here. Look, are you a son of God? Yes or no? Yes. Yeah. This will help you. Are you a son of God? Yes. Or a daughter of God? A child of God? Yeah. Are you? Yes. Are you just as much a son of God as Jesus himself? Yes. Yeah, you are. What's the difference then between us and Jesus? Jesus is God the Son. See, he's the Son of God, but he's also God the Son. See, we're not God the Son, are we? We're children of God. Just like Jesus is a son of God. We're a son or a daughter of God. But the difference between us and him is he is deity. He's not only the son of God, but he's God the son. Now, we can't claim that. We can't, we can't claim that. Now, to claim that, now we're over into blasphemy. 
Did you get what I just said? But there's so many people that when you say, are you a son of God, they'll, they'll balk at it. And I can tell, can't you tell in the spirit, I've got a lot of work to do on these folks. They're good people. But you see, if you don't stay on this from time to time, you'll lose your identity. And then once you lose your identity, then you'll not be effective for the Lord Jesus. Okay? I needed to say that. Are we, are we, a, if we're born again, are we a son of God? Yes or no? Are we God the son? Absolutely not. See, there's just a fine line there. You okay? See, that, I needed to say that because there was somebody in here who thought, well, he's, oh, he's, he's gone too far. No, I hadn't gone too, actually, I hadn't gone far enough. I've just scratched the surface of some of the scriptures I'm going to give you. And by the time we get done here in about a month, hopefully you'll know who you are in Christ Jesus. And the devil won't be able to beat you over the head anymore with an inferiority complex. We're going to beat that inferiority complex in the head in the next month. Glory to God. Can you say amen? Now, what did, did Caleb and Joshua bring back a good report? Yes or no? They said, we're well able to take the... Don't you like it when people say, say, say they, well, we're well able to do what God said we could do. I like those kind of people. I, I had a group of people some years ago, I'd bring something up to them and, well, pastor, well, we just don't, we, we just, well, well, I don't, I don't, you, you don't want, you need somebody that when, when you hear from God and say, now we need to go a certain way, they say, we're well able to do whatever God said we can do. That's the kind of people you want to hang around. Amen. You understand that? And, and Joshua and Caleb brought the, that report back. Let us go up at once. Let's take possession. We're well, say we're well able. We're well able. Yeah, we're well able to overcome it. Amen. But notice in verse 33, Numbers 13, 33, these other ten spies, now they saw the same things that Joshua and Caleb saw. They saw the exact same things. And and notice what, what their report was. There we saw the giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like, we were like what? We were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Now, let me ask you a question. These spies didn't talk to any of those people. How did they know what those people were thinking about them? They didn't know. It was something they concocted in their own minds. Do you understand that? Now, when they said, we're like grasshoppers... We're like grasshoppers in our own sight. Now, that's how they saw themselves, like grasshoppers. You know, most Christians, including most of you, think you're grasshoppers. And you shouldn't. I said you shouldn't. We're not grasshoppers. Did you know most Christians are afraid of the devil? They really are. Do you know we don't need to be afraid of the devil? If you really understand who you are in Christ and walk in the fullness of it, the devil is scared spitless of you. You realize that? You know, there's a lot of Christians tippy-toeing around. I wouldn't want the devil to know. I wouldn't want the devil to know. I would. No, no. If you, actually, it's just the other way. It's just the other way. It's just the other way. If we really understood, the devil is a worm. Did you hear me? I mean, you know what I mean by a worm? He, now, he could try, he'll try to get you thinking you're a worm. But no, 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 no. No, he's a little old worm. Do you realize that? Do you know there's a scripture in Old Testament that says that one of these days we're going to get to actually see the devil. And we're going to say, is that the man? Is that the little dingling that caused all the trouble? Do you realize that that's what we're going to see? But he tries to get us thinking that we're little dingalings. But one of these days, we're going to actually get to see him, and we're going to scratch our heads and say, is that the, is that, is that the, that, that caused all the trouble in the world? You see, the devil, the devil tries to get us to see ourselves as grasshoppers, as nothing, as insignificant. I've already had the devil speak into my, how does he speak, how does God speak to us? In our spirits, through his word and in our spirits. How does the devil speak to us? Through thoughts and many times through other people that yield to him. But realize, say thoughts. I've had the devil already thought, just, just right up here, these fiery darts. Your pulpit is insignificant. Did you know what? That this pulpit or no pulpit that's called by almighty God is insignificant. 
And this any pulpit that's called of Almighty God is actually more got more authority and more power in the spirit realm than something coming out of the Oval Office in Washington, D.C. Did you hear what I just said? But the devil will try to get you to see yourself as a grasshopper. That's how they saw themselves. We're grasshoppers. Now, Caleb and Joshua, they didn't think that. They said, we're well able. But these other two, we're like grasshoppers. And not only that, we know that they think that we're grasshoppers. How did they know that? We're going to see in just a moment that's not true. That, 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 that the enemy didn't see them as grasshoppers. We'll get to that in a minute. Now, after they brought that back this report, the following day, Caleb and Joshua continued in their position. And, and do you know what? They barely escaped being stoned by the people. Did you know that when I was talking to you a minute ago about who you are in Christ and that you're just as good as Jesus and all of that? I could sense in here that I don't think any of you would stone me, but, but, but almost there's some people. Well, ah. But, you know, there's some churches I could go in and, and say those things and there'd be people get up ready, stones ready to stone me thinking I'm bla- being blasphemous. Did you hear me? How dare you say you're just as good as Jesus? Well, I didn't say it. Jesus said it. The New Testament says it. You're just as good as Jesus. You hear any rocks rattling? You going to come back next week? I didn't say you're just as good as Jesus. Jesus, God the Father, Jesus, the Holy Ghost said that you are in him, you see. But when Joshua and Caleb held to their their confession that we're well able, the next day, I think it was the next day, the people got stones. They were ready to stone them. How dare you say we're well able? Pastor Terry, how dare you say that, that, that that God loves us just as much as he does Jesus? And do you know what? The adults of that generation that held to that negative report, they never got to enter the promised land. And until you see yourself accurately in line with the word of God as to who you are, you'll never fulfill all that God has for you here in this earth. You'll never fulfill it all. Until you know who you are in Christ and walk in that, you'll, you'll never, you will never do all that God has for you to do. You'll never be all that you're supposed to be. You'll never be all you're supposed to be in prayer. Did you hear what I just said? And, and, and I've noticed this over the years. There's some we all ought to pray. Is that right? But there's some people, especially, seems like they're called to prayer. And I've noticed so many of those people over the years. There's a few of them that they, they'll come across as though their importance is that they're more important than everybody else. But most of the people called to prayer. I've watched this over the years. They kind of have this inferiority thing about them, as though they they could never pray good enough, or they could never. Uh, all that is is the devil beating you down. To get you to see yourself as insignificant. And if he can get you to see yourself as insignificant. You'll never do all that you are supposed to accomplish in prayer. But if you'll know who you are in Christ. And know that you have an, you have an ear with the Father. Just as much as Jesus has an ear with the Father. Because when you say in the name of Jesus. Father in the name of Jesus. You've got the ear of heaven. You've got the ear of God the Father. Did you hear what I just said? You've got the ear of the Father just like Jesus has the ear of the Father. You need to realize that. Or you'll never be as effective in prayer as you need to be. Did you hear what I just said? Did you hear that or not? And, and, and those ten spies that had that evil report. They didn't know who they were. They didn't see themselves as well able. And they never did get to enter the promised land. And not only that, shortly thereafter, they died in a plague. They died young. I'm convinced if we don't know who we are in Christ, I'll tell you what, the devil will be able, more likely, to take us out early. Kill us. Did you know the devil's out to kill you? Did you know that? I said, did you know that? He wants to kill you and your children. Did you know that? And you need to know who you are in Christ so that you can stand against him. You understand that? 
Most, most Christians don't, don't understand anything about the healing power of God or God's will to heal them. And so the devil's able to rob and steal and kill and destroy. Is that right? But if we would understand who we are in Christ and rise up in that, when sickness comes knocking on our door, we could rebuke it and send it on its way. Did you hear me? I've watched Christian after Christian after Christian lay down under sickness and disease and never resist it, never come against it. Because after all, you know... No, no, we need to realize that God in Christ has given us authority over sickness and disease. Amen? Well, just come back. I'm going to work on you. And we'll get you. By the end of this year, we're going to go around knowing who we are in Christ. Now, you look at me now, and, and some of you think I'm being a little haughty probably. Being a little haughty. I don't know. I don't know that by the Spirit, but just by sharing these kinds of things. Well, who does he think he is? Well, now, would you rather have me talking like I'm talking right now, like I've been for the last 15 minutes, talking in line with the Word of God, or would you rather have me like this? Did you hear there's a flu going around? Oh, God. I bet next week we won't have hardly anybody here because y'all are going to be sick. Huh? You want that? You want that? You know, I don't know. I tell you what. I wouldn't go talking like that if I were you. The devil might hear you and he might kill you. Oh, my God. I don't know. I don't know. What are we going to do? I just... Oh my gosh, I just, I just don't know if we're going to have enough money to, I just don't know if we're going to have enough money to, I don't know if we're going to have enough money to pay the electric bill. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Do you want me like that? You want a pastor like that? Now if you could spin the clock back to when I was about eight, nine, ten years old, that's how I was. When we go to the Little League game, I was the catcher. And we get out there on the ball diamond before practice, or before practice, before the game, and we were practicing right before the game, warming up. I'd, I'd be sitting there on the bench or, or whatever, and the other guys were the, who were 10 years old, the other players, and I'd say, look at those guys over there. There's, we don't have a chance. We're going to lose. They're going to beat us. We're going to lose this game. I would talk like that. And I would talk like that again and again and again. And you know what? Finally, the coach, and you notice what, all those years, we, 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 were, we, we always finished in last place or second to last. I, I played for seven years, and we always finished last place or second to last. And all of a sudden, we got this new coach, and he came in. And the first time he heard me talking like that, he grabbed me, and he pulled me aside. And he said, until you can be positive and until you can... Can, can, can have a positive attitude that we can win and we can beat whatever team. He said, I don't want you around those other guys. And it offended me. Well, who does he think he is? And, and actually, when I'd get to the ball, to the, to, the, to the games, he'd make me sit off. His name was Mr. Waters, a wonderful man. He'd, he'd set me off to the side. He used to teach math at Eureka High School. And he wouldn't let me around the other guys. Can you see why? Because I used to be one of these down in the mouth. I'd have made real good one of them ten spies. Oh, we're just grasshoppers. And, 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 and they see us as grasshoppers. And we'll never be able to win. And, 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 and he'd, he'd set me aside. He wouldn't let me around the other people. He just wouldn't let me around them. Around the other players. But you know what? They got real lonely. And I couldn't. Talk to any of them. I could at practice, but when there was a game day, he, he kept me separated. And you know what? That next season, that, that season when he came, that, that first season, guess what? We finished first place. And then I got to see, and I need to be more positive. And then as we would win and win and win, I became more positive, and then he let me around the other guys, and for three years straight, we finished first place. Isn't that wonderful? 
So the point I'm trying to make is, do you want me up here as a pastor speaking the word of God and, 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 and saying things that almost sound like he's being haughty, but I'm really not. I'm speaking in line with the word of God. Or would you rather have me stand up here and be, a, a, be religious and, 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 and talk like so many pastors as, well, I don't know if we're going to be able to do what God told us to do. I don't know if we're going to be able to pay the bills. I think we're all going to be sick by next week. There's a flu going through Fenton. I think we're all going to have. Do you want that or do you want a man of God that's speaking in line with the word of God? But these, these spies were just, and I was, back when I was 10 years old, I was horrible about this. And I still have to deal with it. Ask my wife. I still have to deal with, with this. This is hard to beat. It, it's hard. I even struggle with it. It's hard to really see who you are in Christ and walk in it 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. But that's the goal. We're going to have to get there if we're ever going to. Do you see the I can tell you right now, the way we are right now, God could not use us as a group to do all that he has for us to do until when I say, are you a sinner? Everybody says, no. 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 Are you a sinner? No. Are you the righteousness of God? Yes. Does God love you as much as he does Jesus? Yes. Are you the head? Yes. Are you the tail? No. See, well, we're getting there. Are you just as much a son of God as Jesus is? Yes. Well, we're getting there. You you getting anything out of this? <laughs> when Diane said a while ago, when she said, let's everybody stand up, I was thinking Simon says. She should have said Simon says. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. Are you having any fun? You better not say no. Have you learned anything since you've been coming here? Okay, good. A lot. Now go to Joshua 2, verse 9. I don't want to keep you too long, but i got to work on you. It's too cold outside anyway, so we'll be... Come on, Joshua 2, 9, New Living Tree. I'm trying to help you guys. I'm trying to help all of us. And I need to hear this as much as anybody. Now, remember a while ago when, when they said, we, so were we in their sight? Remember that? Look at this, Joshua 2.9. This is later when Joshua, this is sometime down the road, when Joshua sent out the two spies to Jericho. Remember Rahab, the harlot? And, and, and the spies were talking to them. And look at this. Look at Joshua 2.9. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Did you see that? These are the same people that the ten spies said, well, they see us as grasshoppers. Here's how they really thought about the people of God. Here's how they really... She's telling you right there. What did she just say? We were afraid of you. Do you see that? The report the spies brought back was not a good report. It wasn't even right. The enemy was afraid of them. How many of you are... If you're like me, you're afraid of snakes. (laughs) It's okay. Are you? I, 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 I'm afraid of them. I hate them. I shouldn't be, but I don't like them. But you know, people that study snakes will tell you they're more afraid of us than we need to be of them. And if you think about it, I've walked out in the yard when there's been a black snake out there, and I've never had a one of them come after me. Guess what they do when you walk out there? They take off. And it's the same way the devil is more afraid of us than we ever need to be of him if we'll know who we are in Christ. Now, you don't want to deal with the devil outside of Christ. He'll, he'll beat your brains out. But if you know who you are in Christ, you don't need to be afraid of him. What did she just say? We are all afraid of you. That's what, that's, that's those. Did the spies get it wrong? They got it wrong. Look at verse 10. We've heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea. And, and we know what you did to Shishon and Og and the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you've completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. Now, did they see the people of God as grasshoppers? No, they were afraid of them. But the perception that the ten spies had caused much, much harm and tr- trouble, didn't it? See, if you think the devil... If you think more of the devil than you should and you, you know, you're afraid of him and, and all of that, it's going to lead to no good. You need to know who you are in Christ and see yourself appropriately. And you need to know the devil is more afraid of you than you ever need to be of him. 
No wonder our hearts melted in fear. No, no one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. And that's the same God we serve. Isn't that wonderful? Now, look, I want to get to this. Go real quick. Uh, turn over to the book of Judges. I need to get this in. I'm going to I'm going to close this up by talking about Gideon. Have you ever heard about Gideon? Now, now you can talk about him putting out a fleece and all that. And I, I don't want to talk about that today. But he was a military hero, a spiritual leader. He was the fifth judge of Israel. But he didn't start out that way. You see, the, the person that you see in the pulpit here, bold and all of that, I didn't start out that way. Go back to when I was 10 years old and you can see I was a weakling, I was a coward, and I was defeated all the time. But God's been working on me and I'm, I'm getting closer to where he wants me to be. But that's how Gideon started out. He, was, he ended up a military hero and a spiritual leader and the fifth judge of Israel. He didn't start out that way. As a young boy, Gideon had seen the land oppressed by the Midianites for many years. And one day when he was threshing wheat, the angel of the Lord, who's actually the second member of the Trinity in this case... Sometimes their angels appeared, but when, it, when it's capitalized in the King James or New King James, actually it was the second member of the Trinity, Jesus, making an Old Testament appearance, appeared to him with something to say. Look at Judges 6.12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, to Gideon, and said to him, The Lord is with you, you what? Mighty man of Valor. Now, how did God see him as a what? Mighty man of valor. But let's see how Gideon saw himself. Look at verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and you'll save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So Gideon says to the Lord, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my family is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. What did he just say? He said, I'm the least of the least. I'm the weakest of the weak. I'm the least of the least. I'm the lowliest of the low. Isn't that what he just got done saying? How did God see him? What? Mighty man of valor. How did Gideon see himself? As a grasshopper. Least of the least. We need to see ourselves the way God sees us. See, Gideon, his identity was all messed up. He didn't know, he didn't know what he was, who he was. But God knew who he was. He was a mighty man of valor. God sees things a whole lot differently than we see things. But we need to get ourselves to looking at things the way God looks at them. You mighty man of valor, he says in verse 12. But then in verse 15, he says... I'm the least of the least. Isn't it interesting? Even after God tells us who we are, we still struggle with it. I mean, he just called him a mighty man of valor. And instead of Gideon saying, man, I'm a mighty man of valor. I can get the job done. Even after hearing from God, he says, I'm the least of the least and the weakest of the weak. Aren't you glad, aren't you glad God doesn't give up on us when we don't get it the first time? Or the second time or the third time or the fourth time or the fifth time? But he'll just stay with us, stay working on us, stay with us, stay working on us. Right? And then verse 16, God says, surely I'll be with you. That's all you need right there, folks, is God with you. And so as it goes along, Gideon's, and I'll not take the time to read it, Gideon's first assignment was to destroy his father's altar. See, his father was an idol worshiper. Gideon's father was an idol worshiper. He worshipped Baal. And they had an altar to Baal in the family's backyard. And the first thing God said do is destroy that idol. Do you know a lot of times, real, real, loud, real loud say, in my own backyard. You know, sometimes, and I think this is significant because, you see, I, I was raised, and I, and I love my mother, she's a great, great mom. But she was just full of very fearful and worried and the phone would ring and she'd jump and, you know, I bet it's bad news. And, and her mom was, was worse than my, my grandma. We call her Oak Grammy. Love her to pieces, but she was worse than my mom. See, my, my, my mom got an a, a attitude of fear off of my grandma and my mom 
I was raised in that kind of a home. My mom was very good. She loved me and was very good to me, but it was worried about everything and, and surely bad news is going to come and we're not going to, you know, going to be able to, you know, there's always fear, 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 fear. Sometimes to find out who you are and, and to get your proper identity, you're going to have to go into your own backyard and break some things. Did you hear what I just said? Did you get what I just said? Did you get that? Sometimes you're going to have to go into your own backyard, into your own own childhood, and there was things maybe said over you or things done to you or whatever that you're going to have to get over it. You're going to have to break it. You're going to have to renew your mind to the Word of God. Did you hear what I just said? You're going to have to do it. And that's what Gideon had to do. He had to go into his own backyard. It was going to upset a lot of people, his family and whatnot, but he had to go and destroy that thing in his own backyard. He had to overcome that thing in his own backyard. You need to realize that. Now, as the oppression of the Midianites intensified, Gideon sent out all the messengers to Manasseh and the surrounding tribes to rally the volunteers. Some volunteer, We need some volunteers. We're going to get a, a, a volunteer army to go against the Midianites. And, and, and the first, the first uh, uh, count, Gideon assembled 32,000 citizen soldiers. 32,000. Now, the Midians had 135,000 Warriors in their rank, and Gideon had 32,000. And so Gideon, when it starts out, is outnumbered four to one. That's not good, is it? But when the Lord's with you, what difference does it make? And then God says something interesting to Gideon, and most of you know this story, but if you don't, I'll, I'll tell it to you just briefly. God says, okay, they've got 135,000 warriors, you've got 32. You've got too many, Gideon. Now, does that make sense in the natural? So God had to thin out the ranks, and he said to Gideon, he said, tell all the people that are fearful and afraid to go home. And guess what? 22,000 walked off, and he was left with 10,000. And now Gideon is outnumbered 13 to 1, and guess what God says? He says, there's still too many, Gideon. You've still got too many warriors. Too many, too many soldiers. Now, that doesn't make sense to the natural. You need to realize that God doesn't make a lot of sense to the natural a lot of times. He says, thin them out some more. And, and I could go through the whole story, how they went down to the river. And he said, the certain ones that drink a certain way, keep them and, and as they drink the water the other way. Anyway, if you get into that, basically what God said was this. He said, he said, now... You're down now to, what was it? I think we're down to 10,000, 10,000. So we're, 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 out, we're outgunned here 13 to 1 now. And God says there's still, there's still too many. And, and in, that next, in that next group, what, what happened was, is God was looking for people who uh, were diligent and watchful. And that was that drinking test in the water there. For diligence and watchfulness. And, and, and so after they got done drinking in the water, all of the all of those soldiers of Gideon that were not diligent and watchful, God dismissed them and sent them home. And now there's only 300. Realize, say 300. There's only 300 of them left. See, God, if you're fearful and afraid, God can't use you. If you're not diligent and watchful, God can't use you. Did you hear me? And so he dismissed the fearful, he dismissed all those who weren't diligent and watchful, and now we're down to 300 against 135,000. Now Gideon is outnumbered 450 to 1. Listen to this. God prefers a few dedicated and disciplined disciples over throngs of uncommitted workers. Did you hear what I just said? God prefers a few dedicated and disciplined disciples to throngs of uncommitted workers. God can win victories with a fully committed minority. Did you hear what I just said? God can win victories with a fully committed minority. And then it's interesting. Look, look here. Sake of time. Judges 7 verse 10. Look at this. Now you would think after all of that, Gideon would be ready to go to war but he's still dealing, he's just like you and me, he's still dealing with some fears. God is gracious. And look at verse 10. He says to, to him, he says, Gideon, if you're afraid to go down now and, and fight this, this battle with the Midianites, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, 
and you shall hear what they say. And afterwards, your hands will be strengthened to go down against the camp. Now, the Midianites and the Amalekites, all the people of the east, were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts. And their camels were without number as a sand by the seashore in multitude. And when Gideon had come, there was a man in that enemy camp telling a dream to his companion. And he said, I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped and he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. In other words, do you see what happened here? Gideon, God said, go down and go down to their camp and listen to what they're saying. And when he went down to the camp, he heard what the enemy was saying. And what was the enemy saying? Oh, my gosh, Gideon's sword is against us and Gideon's going to just whip the tar out of us. Isn't it interesting that Gideon wasn't fully convinced just listening to what God had to say. He had to go hear what the enemy had to say. You know, I'd be interested to hear what the enemy, what the devil has to say about this church and about you and me. And I think we'd be shocked if we got to hear what the devil has to say about this church and about you and me. If we got to listen in, he'd probably say, oh my gosh, they're meeting again. It's cold outside and they all showed up. They're standing on the word of God. Man, that pastor, he's been preaching there 21 years and he's never missed a service. I'm afraid of that guy. He's diligent. The only time he's ever missed a service, we were talking about this last night, is, 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 is the only time he's ever missed when he's on vacation, he's always there. He's a thorn in my side. He's troubling me. He's a bothersome to me in Fenton. I'm afraid of that man. I'm afraid when he gets out of bed in the morning. I'm afraid when he walks into the pulpit. I'm afraid when that anointing comes on him and he starts to prophesy. I'm afraid when the power of God moves through him and begins to heal people. I'm afraid when he gets up there and declares the word of God and breaks shackles off people. My goodness. That's, you see, that's what the devil's saying about us. But see, but you see, we're sitting back there thinking, oh, my God, what's the devil? He's going to come get us today. No, no. The devil's afraid of us. Can you say Amen. I've been working. Yeah, here's what the devil's probably saying. I've been working on that guy. I've been trying to get him to turn that church into a nightclub atmosphere. I've been trying to get him to, 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 to water down his messages. I've been trying to get him to move away from the gifts of the Spirit. And he just won't do it. He just keeps coming in there and prophesying. He just keeps, he's not afraid to speak in tongues in the service. He's not afraid to flow with the Holy Ghost. He's not afraid to shout in the pulpit and declare the mercy of God. Woo, glory to God. Can you see the devil's probably saying, that about me did you hear that are you getting this or not are you and then God said to Gideon he said give each man a trumpet a pitch a pitcher and a torch a, tr- a trumpet, a, pit- a trumpet, a pitcher, and a torch to fight 135,000 warriors. God says, get a trumpet, a pitcher, and a torch. Does that make sense? Let's go get the machine guns. Let's go get the grenades. No, if you've got God with you, it doesn't matter how many is coming against you. You can win the battle with a trumpet, a pitcher, a pitcher of water, a trumpet, a pitcher, and a torch. That's what God said, get. See, I'm so glad I serve God. If you got God with you, you can have 10,000, 100,000, 500,000 people coming against you, demons coming against you, and God will tell you, get a trumpet, a pitcher, and a torch. And at the appointed time, 300 trumpets blasted into the air, 300 hands raised their pitchers and smashed them to bits, 300 burning torches pierced the darkness, and 300 warriors cried the sword of the Lord of Gideon. And, 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 and uh, there was such confusion in the camp of the Midianites, they started to turn on one another, and, and, and there was such confusion, they were defeated, and there was a glorious victory. And guess what? Guess who got all the glory? God did. 
Because there's no way you can take 300 men with a pitcher, a torch, and a, and a trumpet and beat 135,000 fierce warriors. There's no way 300 people... You're right. There's no way 300 people can do that unless God's on your side and God's fighting for you. And then God gets all the glory. Can you say amen? There's a scripture that says that God, nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. Isn't that wonderful? How many of you, when you were in high school, and uh, and they started in gym class, they started picking teams? I've watched this over the years when I was in school, and we'd have gym class. And uh, I know a lot of times I would be picked to be a captain because I was pretty good at sports. And... Uh, and I watched some of those other kids, and they were just so fearful because you know what they were afraid of? Not getting picked or getting picked last. You know, if God's a captain, guess who he's going to pick? He's not going to pick the most strong and the most vibrant. and the most... Guess who he's going to pick? He's going to pick the skinny little weakling that can't even hardly catch a ball or throw a ball. That's who God's going to pick. I guess it was the Spirit of God on the inside of me. I'd always, when I got my chance to choose, I never chose the best one. I always wanted to go for the scrawny little person. I'd choose them because it made them feel good. And then and we'd win anyway, bless God. And when we'd win, I knew it was the Lord helping us, praise God. That's the kind of, that's the kind of captain God is. He doesn't look for the most part. Remember when he sent Jesse to David's house and Eliab, Abinadab, Shammah came up and, and Samuel said, surely the Lord's anointed is before. No, no, no. God refused all of them because they were cowards in their heart. He said, don't you have any left? And, and, and Jesse said, well, we got one little shepherd boy out there. And he went and called and David came in. Glory to God. Isn't that wonderful? And he made it. He took it God took David from a sheep pen and made him the king of Israel. Isn't that wonderful? As a conquering warrior, Gideon was invited then to become king, but he declines. He was modest and devout. He was careful not to grasp the power and glory that belonged to God. He told the people to let the Lord rule over you. See, all those boastful things I said a while ago when I started this message. See, we can only boast. Our boasting must not be in us. Our boasting must be in the Lord. Can you say amen to that? Well, I could go on and on here. Go to 1 Corinthians one We'll close. I've preached a little long, but I trust it's helped you. Look at this. Let's close with these two scriptures, verses of these two passages. Go to 1 Corinthians one twenty six NIV. Brothers, think what you were when God called you. I can think what I was. I was defeated, disgusted. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. You see, God, when he's the captain picking the team, he's not going to pick the mighty. He's going to pick these kind of people. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So that no one can boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. Who has Jesus has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts do what? Boast in in the Lord. And then Romans 8.37. Turn there and this will be the last one. Are you getting anything out of this today? I hope this is helping you. Let all... Yet in all these things, we are what? More than conquerors through him. Who's that? Through Jesus who loved us. You know, being a conqueror would be... You know, most Christians don't see themselves as conquerors. Most Christians see themselves as defeated. But we're not defeated. We're conquerors. And it'd be a good deal to be a conqueror. But we're not just a conqueror. We're what? More than conquerors. And, and, and this little illustration, I heard a preacher share this years ago. He used a boxer, but I'll use a, I'll use a golfer. I remember years ago, Jack Nicklaus winning. You know who he is. He's that great golfer. He won a big tournament. He probably won $100,000 in a trophy. And I know Jack's there, and he's, he's, they hand him the check for 100000 and the trophy, and he's, he's just conquered. He's just won the U.S. Open, and 
He probably got a $100,000 check or maybe 200000 I don't know. And he's just absolutely, he's, he's conquered. He's beat everybody and he's conquered. He's conquered. Jack has conquered. He's a conqueror. But guess what Barbara, his wife, did with the check? She took the check. So she was a, she was what? More than a conqueror. Is that right? Is that right? So Jack, she didn't, now did she have to play in the golf tournament? Did she have to practice or do anything? All she had to do was show up and, I mean, just this, all she had to do was show up and what? Take the check. She was, Jack was a conqueror, but she was, and you know, Jesus came. Jesus came and he defeated the devil. He destroyed, he spoiled principalities and powers. He did all the hard work. He defeated the devil. He absolutely just, the Bible says he dethroned him. He, he, he paralyzed him. He just absolutely defeated the kingdom of darkness. Jesus did. And he was a conqueror. Is that right? And all we have to do is show up and receive it. And we become Jesus is the conqueror, but we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's shouting ground right there. Just stand with me if you would. Now my wife's going to come and close the service and, 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 and take just a couple of minutes to share some things. But I want you to say this. Say, I am more than a conqueror through Jesus who loves me. He fought the battle, and he's given me the spoils. He defeated the devil, and he's he's won the victory, and he's given me the results of it. 